I would invite all of you now to take a Bible, if you would, either your own Bible or the one provided for you there in the pew. And let's turn to the New Testament letter of Paul that he wrote to Corinth, the first of the letters, 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians chapter 11. It would be good for me to remind all of us and any that may be new among us that here at Good Shepherd Church, our faith and practice is governed by the authority which is vested in God's word, scripture alone. And when we search the scriptures, it is clear that God in Christ has ordained, I only find two religious rights for believers in his church today and for all time. Now, in some traditions, uh, these are called sacraments. Well, that's actually a good word because it does mean that which is sacred or set apart for a particular or special purpose. The bread and the cup are very common elements obtained at the grocery store. And yet they are made sacred. They are set apart when they are placed into the service of worship given by the Lord and his people on a day such as this. Most of us are more familiar, I think, maybe even more comfortable with the term ordinance than we are the word sacrament. I really prefer that word myself because it speaks very directly as to how we came to have these two practices. It reminds us that the two ordinances we have are not made by man, are not uh, instituted by any man-made religious practice or even a church, but rather ordained. That's the word, ordinance. They are ordained by God himself. There is the ordinance of the Lord's Supper and the ordinance of water baptism. And if you think about it, in both cases, it is the Lord himself who has commanded that we do what we do at the Lord's table as well as at times of baptism. The significance and the sacredness of these otherwise common things is found, of course, in what they point to. The bread points to the broken body, the torn flesh of our Lord Jesus. The cup points to the very price of our redemption, his own shed blood on the cross. The immersion I could say the burial into the waters represent burial in Christ and coming up out of the water. Once uh, every month, we respond to the Lord's gracious invitation to come to this table, the ordinance of the Lord's Supper. And I must say that in all my years of ministry, I have sought to make this practice really understood by God's people and to make it a meaningful time for God's people. I'm sure it was never the intention of the pastors that I had when I was just a young boy attending church almost all of my life, but uh, 
I did sort of sense that the Lord's Supper was something that just kind of came around on the calendar. Sometimes it was forgotten about until you walked into the sanctuary and saw the communion table set up, and then you would say, oh yes, that's right, it must be the first Sunday of the month. I determined that when I would be called to ministry that I would not allow that to happen as much as possible to any of us. This is a sacred time and full of meaning and, as we will soon see in the teaching of God's Word, something is supposed to actually happen to us when we take the bread and the cup. The ordinances, as we've said, use these ordinary symbols. There is the bread, there is the wine, in our case the unfermented variety, the grape juice, and then for baptism, of course, there is water. But they become the elements or the objects, if you will. They are an outward sign, and that is all they are, pointing to an inward reality, which is quite extra ordinary, quite wonderful indeed. And I would have God's people remind themselves of that, especially on Communion Sunday, that we are to connect, we're to have communion with the risen Christ himself in the particular way that he has commanded us to participate in this. Now, baptism is also an outward sign of an inward reality, that I have been spiritually united with the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus, my Lord and Savior. That seen in an object lesson, if you will, by going under the waters as into death and being raised again to newness of life. The water, an appropriate symbol as well, as in the Bible so often it has to do with the cleansing of the one who worships, the washing away of their sins. Now, of course, water never could wash away sin, only the blood of Christ, and we commemorate that in the Lord's Supper. But in the waters of baptism, there is that pointing to our wonderful union with Christ in his death, his burial, and his resurrection. I just want to point this morning for a few moments to the most familiar of the phrases here in the 1 Corinthians 11 passage. It is in this chapter of Scripture that we receive from the Apostle Paul what he says he received from the Lord himself. That's what makes it an ordinance. It comes directly to us from the Lord himself, and in this case, through the means of his servant the Apostle Paul. Look with me at uh, verse 23, 1 Corinthians 11, verse 23. This is made very clear. Paul writes, I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus in the night in which he was betrayed took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. And then I want you to underscore this phrase. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he, Jesus, took the cup after supper, saying, This cup 
is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it. And again, underscore these words in remembrance of me. For as often as, notice it says, you eat this bread, not that you eat this flesh. Notice it says, and as often as you drink this cup, not literally blood, you are by those objects proclaiming the spiritual reality. You proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. I mentioned a moment ago I had the great privilege of growing up in a Christian home and spending virtually my whole life in the life of a church. And I remember my Bible club days and my Sunday school days. And one of the things I think I enjoyed the most when I was just a lad were the number of times the gifted Sunday school teacher would bring in objects from home and use them, something we could actually touch and see and feel, and watch a demonstration with everyday objects that our teachers would sometimes just bring from home. And around those objects, having our attention in a special way, the teacher would teach those things that are spiritual in nature. I must say that we're all the children of God who have faith in Christ, And we ought to be delighted that our Heavenly Father has given us these two very special object lessons that speak to the great spiritual truths that they represent. Now, twice in the scriptural phrase we have read, it seems that the Lord is concerned that we remember Him. Do this as often as you do it. Make sure you do it till I come again, which is why we practice it some 2,000 years later. But when you're doing it, and it is stated twice, you're to do this, he says, in remembrance of me. And I want you to think on that for just a couple of moments with me. Do you really think that somehow if we were, as a church, to... uh, disobediently dismiss, God forbid we would ever do this, the practice of keeping the Lord's Supper, do you think we'd really be at any risk of somehow forgetting Christ? Do we need this to remember him? If we came together on the first day of the week for the rest of our lives and we sang our hymns of praise like the old rugged cross, or we sing the great gospel song, there is power in the blood, or in every sermon your pastor would speak of Jesus and his sacrificial love, and that in every service we would have a time where we're offering our prayers, and we offer them what? In Jesus' name. Do you really think, did God really think, that we somehow would be in danger of forgetting Christ apart from this divine ordained practice? Well, first let me say that we will keep the Lord's Supper regularly, as the text says. We will do it until he comes because 
he has commanded it. That's reason enough to do it. But we will also keep the ordinance because what we come to understand that God has in mind a particular and very specific way that we are to remember him. Oh, indeed, as I have said, we remember him when we sing his name in the hymns. We remember him when the preacher preaches his name. We remember him when we offer our prayers in Jesus' name. But there must be something very distinct, very particular, even very different when it comes to the bread and the cup, remembering him in this particular way that he himself has ordained. Well, let me just tell you straight out that the phrase, in remembrance of him, actually has very little to do with any notion or any danger of forgetting him. The biblical term for remember means something far more vital and significant than being concerned with matters related to cerebral memory or the danger of having senior moments, as we like to call them. There's something much more going on in this command. And when Jesus says twice, do this in remembrance of me, he's saying something much more than, I hope you don't forget. Let me just do a very brief, like a two-minute word study in Scripture to underscore the meaning of this. And I take it from my own uh, personal experience of some years ago. I shall never forget my first encounter with the biblical term to remember uh, way back ages ago in my seminary days. The uh, Old Testament scholar, Dr. J. Robert Vinoy, assigned me a paper on the book of Deuteronomy, the Old Testament. Uh, I think he wanted me to defend the necessity or at least the importance of the book of Deuteronomy. The book of Deuteronomy, for those of you that are somewhat informed in your, about your Bibles, is a little like seeing a movie for the second time. At first, as you read, it almost seems redundant to everything we've already read in the first four books, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and then it just seems like Deuteronomy is a rerun of much of what we learned in those first four books. So how essential is it? Well, I want you to know that in that research paper, I underscored the fact that the Hebrew word zakar, the word translated in our English Bibles, remember, is seeded throughout the entire 34 chapters of the book of Deuteronomy. Fifteen times the word remember is repeated in the key first 11 chapters of that book. The fact became, that very fact became the thesis for my paper. By the way, I got an A minus, all right? The minus was for misspelling a few words, I think. Maybe I even misspelled Deuteronomy. But what I discovered was this. Deuteronomy, the word itself, means second law. Not different laws, but a repeat of the first. Deutero, nomos. Deutero is two. Nomos is, in fact, the Greek word for 
law. The children of Israel, at the point at which Moses renders, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, the fifth book of the Bible, Deuteronomy, they are just now ready to enter into their promised land. What God is saying when he gives to them the book of Deuteronomy, I've already told you what he says. Here's what he says. He sounds very much like a parent when children are about to go in and do something, like inherit the land. Remember, 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 and over and over again, as I've indicated, to say that everything you have already learned, it's like a parent who says, I know that you know this, but now is the time to bring it all forward before you take a step into that promised land. Remember, remember, remember. Now is the time to make what you know and have heard in the past real in this present moment. May I suggest to you that hidden in that Old Testament meaning, in the keeping of the feast, as was the practice of Israel in the Old Testament, to keep them over and over again, to remember and to remember and to remember is not unlike keeping the Lord's Supper over and over and over again until he comes. He's telling us in this particular way, we are to bring to bear what we already know. Christ Jesus came into the world to die for sinners. Take this bread, let it be an object lesson of my torn flesh. Take this cup and let it be mindful to you that my blood was shed for sinners. Do it in this particular way, even though you sing it in your songs, even though you hear that word of God proclaimed and Christ lifted up, even though you pray in Jesus' name, Christians, you see, are called to do a lot of things and be about a lot of things. And uh, we have thousands of ways in the course of any given week that we apply our Christian faith in Christ. But is the Lord's Supper a necessary way of remember? remembering? Let me suggest to you it is for this reason. For the very reason that the Christian life involves a whole lot of things. We're called to do good works by which our neighbors around us might have cause to give glory to God in the day of judgment to come. We are called to be intercessors. We're called to pray, and we involve ourselves in that ministry. We have a separate service each week in our church to be prayer warriors and to intercede for the many needs that are all around us. There's a whole lot of things that we do. And I think what the Lord is saying every time we come to this table is do not forget, don't ever forget that everything you're doing in the name of what it means to be a Christian would mean nothing if you did not come back time and again and remember, 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 remember the main truth. Christ Jesus came into this world to shed his blood, to make a sacrifice of atonement for sinners. It is possible 
to get so involved in the joyous activities of what it is to be a church and a community of God's people together, to get involved in all kinds of ministries and works of help and and testimony of every kind, it is entirely possible to get entirely too busy. And after a while to begin to think that being a Christian means these 42 things. But how essential our Heavenly Father saw it to be that we would forever keep the cross and the work accomplished there present in our minds. I remember tracing that word Zakar throughout all of the rest of the Bible beyond Deuteronomy. And I remember smiling as I saw that word Zakar to remember to show up. It showed up again in the story of old Noah and the ark. And uh, we don't have time to go into all the details, and at least it's one Bible story that probably everyone knows here. God was sending a flood of judgment. Noah was to bring animals into the ark two by two. It rained for 40 days and 40 nights, and the deeps were opened, and the whole world experienced a cataclysmic flood of judgment. And if you were to go and look up the rest of the story from that point, one of the interesting features is that after the rain stopped, That ark just kept bobbing and weaving on the waves for a very long time. You remember that Noah at one point after many, many, many weeks sent out a bird. And the bird came back because it didn't have anywhere to land. There was nothing but water. And it took a very, very long time. You could research this. You might be surprised to know that it's entirely possible that Noah was in the ark with all those animals and even his in-laws trapped there for I don't know how long. And then you read this in the biblical account. And God remembered Noah. Well, hello, Jehovah. Uh, where, Where have you been? And it's only at that point that the strong wind, it says, is sent by Jehovah to part the waters, to evaporate the waters, and to separate the waters so that once again there would be dry land. Now I ask you the question, do you think the omniscient God, who not only knows all things but certainly forgets nothing, really ever did have just a lapse of memory? And God remembered Noah? Noah, if you'll hear it again, here's what it really says. And God remembered Zakar, Noah, and he sent a strong wind. Whatever Zakar means, it's always in a place where God in the Old Testament is ready to act. Whether it was giving the children of Israel their promised land, or whether indeed he was about to take Noah after that long seasick journey off the ark. Now, put it over into our New Testament context and what it is we have the privilege of doing here in these next moments. Do this in remembrance of me, Jesus says. Not that we have forgotten, but that now we are to move into action. We hold the bread. We can feel it. It is an object that relates to the physical world and our senses. And as real as that bread, as real as the crushed 
fruit of the vine that fills the cup, as real as that is, that you hold it in your hands, you taste it, you take it into your system, as real as that is, be moved to understand just as real a reality is the application of Christ's death on the cross and the cleansing from your sins all over again. Remember, remember, remember the chief and primary purpose of the coming of Christ we must always remember was to save us wretched sinners and to make us his own children who now can sit at his table and while we're doing everything else he has called us to do he says on a regular basis oh keep focused on the main reason you're here is the main reason that I came to die on a cross to have my body broken and my blood shed for the forgiveness of your sins